You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, Utah falls to ranked Washington State team. <laughs> And they head to Seattle to take on the Washington Huskies. I'm Cameron. We got Ryan. Hello. That was enthusiastic. <laughs> hey, and we got uh, Scott, whoever your name is. Hey, Nation. <laughs> hey, that's my line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Utah ah, turns the game away with all their turnovers to Washington State. They fall 33 to 25. Eight, or not eight, seven turnovers. I don't know where eight came from. It would have been eight by now. <laughs> Interest kicked in. Seven. I mean, think about that. Seven turnovers. It was ugly. I mean, it was it was kind of BYU-esque. That's like half their <laughs> possessions. Well, I, th- I uh, if, if I'm just going off memory here, but I believe... Um, the average starting field position for Washington State in that first quarter was our 21-yard line. Well, their average was 35 for the game. That's ridiculous. But you know what? That right there is for that defense. <laughs> they deserved it. They actually played a heck of a game. I mean, that it could have easily been 21 or 24 to nothing after the first quarter. Oh, yeah. I mean, Washington State averaged on the 35. And even after that punt... They got back to the 27 on that missed field goal. If you include that, they were about the 30-yard line for average. And to hold Washington State to 23 points, being 10 yards out from the red zone, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, their their starting field position was in field goal range. It was it was horrific, horrific offensively um, as far as just being able to take care of the football. Did a lot of good things outside of that in, in moments. Um, but again, it's just that inconsistent approach. Another slow start. First quarter was atrocious, just like UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they, you know, all of a sudden we pull it uh, thirteen to ten in the second quarter. We've got momentum. The crowd is finally into the game, and uh, we just kind of lulled back asleep. They scored right before half. Right time. before half, and. Uh, you know, we just uh, from there it was just an uphill battle that couldn't uh, couldn't get a, get over the top, but did a lot of good things. A lot of what the crazy moments um, that a young inexperienced team has has shown this year that they're just going to continue to give. And obviously, the I think the inexperience is showing a lot more on the offensive side of the ball than on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, just you talking. Just a minute ago, of how great the defense played. And when you think about Fitz left that game in the first half, I didn't see Lotulele play much, if not at all. He, he he was in, but he was definitely being rotated. And Hanson didn't play. Tatioli didn't play. Blair's, Blair's out. out. And to and to hold Washington State, a high powered offense, to Essentially 10 points if you don't throw in the turnovers. 
No, the, the defense played lights out. I mean, Whittingham talked about it. He and Scally sat down uh, first part of the week and basically changed their scheme. Um, rushed three down linemen. Um, you know, they had uh, um, Kavika Latafata Sanga. Very was, nice. Uh, Congratulations. Very nice. Hooked on phonics. Worked for me, Cam. <laughs> give it a go. But... Um, I mean, he was lined up over the edge a lot of that game and falling back into coverage. But the scheme, the scheme was different. I mean, if you're watching a normal Utah defense, it was definitely different. But it was effective against mm-hmm. what Washington State was trying to do, because offensively, Washington State, and again, you know, they're they're going to pass the ball. That's their uh, that's their mo. They're known for the passing. That's what they came in and did. Sixty nine attempts through the air. They've had a lot of success rushing the ball. They just don't ever they they just don't stay consistent in doing so. They had 27 yards on 17 attempts. So, the defensive line again, it wasn't a focus of Washington State, but the defensive line did the, did their job in just shutting it down. Leach commented after the game that they just gave up on it. They just abandoned the run um because it wasn't doing anything and uh you mean when you've got Falk back there and he had all day. All day. So I mean he at that point really what's the point of needing to run? Just just hike the ball, let him take thirty seconds to find an open guy. And uh, you know, but again with that being said, the defensive uh, performance, the secondary I am so impressed with the secondary. They are young. You look mm-hmm. across the board, Jalen Johnson, a freshman, uh, Blackman, sophomore, uh, a true sophomore, Hughes. Gidry, Gidry, a, a true freshman. freshman, Hughes, who's a junior, so he's an upperclassman. And then there's Booby Hobbs, who's not very good. Whoa, no. <laughs> Booby's a punt returner. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. But you know what? Kenrick Young, when he came into the game, I was nervous. That was yeah. not a situation where you want him coming into the game one-on-one against Falk. And he, I mean, he gave up some for sure, but I, th- nice. I thought he played pretty darn well. Very nice interception. And, and that interception, which I thought, hey, he just got the, the ball back for the offense to go down and, uh, and tie this game up. And then Tyler Huntley proceeded to throw another pick, but, but it was, it was a good performance overall. Um, you know, from the linebackers, the secondary, and you know, the defensive line did their job. They weren't, uh, they weren't prolific in getting to Falk, but uh, I, I think they did enough to uh, with within that scheme. When you're only bringing three guys uh, to do what you need to, to to get the ball out. Now, for the dreaded offensive side of the ball, I actually thought the offense played pretty well. Minus Were the, you at the game? Minus the turnovers. What are you, a BYU media member? <laughs> Outside of the turnovers, they were awesome. I didn't say awesome. I did not say awesome. <laughs> no. They they, they 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 outgained Washington State. They did. Even with all those turnovers. I mean, we blew them away in the rushing game. I mean, we had a whopping 62 yards to their 27. <laughs> but it was interesting. I mean... Obviously, the game plan coming in, Troy Taylor had to have seen something on film 
because early in the game and really even throughout the game, but that first and even into the second quarter, there were so many designed rollouts for Tyler Huntley in the running game and also in the passing game and nothing came of it. Mm -mm. There was no success to be had getting him out there. They were spying on him, and as soon as he broke that pocket, they were in his face with nowhere to go. So whatever the reason for for such a big influence in, in getting him out of the pocket, it didn't translate into, obviously, what they wanted. But Washington State... Well, it, it played into Washington State's hands. I mean, the very first interception he threw, he was rolling, rolling to, right, to the right, across the body, throw it across to the middle of the field, and which is... Which is quarterback 101, Huntley. Come on. You got to give Washington State a lot of credit on those turnovers. Stripping the ball. Oh, and they earned jumping it. Jumping yeah. up and getting, the, and getting those interceptions. And when I said that the offense was better than what I, I remember or what the stats are saying with those turnovers, Huntley's still 21 of 39 for 305 yards. He was connecting on the long passes with the wide receivers. Most of the time. I, I mean, yeah. I, yes, there are turnovers. I'm not trying to shy away from that. I'm not trying to be a, a huge-time homer or a BYU guy, as you guys pointed <laughs> out. There's a lot of issues. You would be a really a good... A lot of issues. Well, you're wearing pink headphones right now. You would be a good Dick Harmon. <laughs> Can I start calling you Dick for now on? <laughs> I hate you. There's a lot of problems. However, I, I think where I... I and maybe not as as down as a lot of the hacks that are on the radio right now, Ooh. is that the future looks bright. There's glimpses of what we're seeing from this team, and I know they're young, and Winningham says it's a bullcrap excuse, but there's glimpses of showing what this team is capable of becoming, and I think that's what I'm trying to focus on in games like this. Well, at this point of the year, that's all we really can focus on this year is essentially it's a throwaway it is i mean there's a chance that we'll go to a bowl game it'll be a crappy bowl game it will give this younger team a chance to with some to get some additional practices in which will be helpful going into the spring um but really you've just got to chalk this up to these guys got experience now and let's take it and hopefully improve upon that going into next year because that's all you really have now well, I mean, I think Dick makes a good point because <laughs> there are bright spots in this offense. There's moments where in this game you think, okay, if we could do this, even uh, you're not going to do it every down or every series. No team does that. You're going to have some lulls. But if we could find just a little bit more consistency instead of just taking these long stretches where we turn the ball over or we three and out and we're just pump, pump, pump. It, you know, consistently put some drives together and keep ourselves in field goal range, get into the end zone. There's moments where we look really good. And then there's these just these horrific moments where you're just wondering, like, what is going on? And, and, and I think that's from coaching and I think that's players. Because I, I Troy Taylor is not a finished product. I would, I would. You think <laughs> he's basically a got down to the fourteen yard line and decides to run a freaking reverse. He's a true freshman. <laughs> I mean, he is in the Pac twelve. He is. 
and at this level of coaching and and he, he's going to be okay. I'm not worried about did we make a big mistake and his uh is he going to be able to to get the job done? I think he is. Well, you're in the minority cuz Twitter already wants him gone. Well, in the heat of the moment people get a little uh get a little over the top, but you know, I learned a good lesson from my friend Dick, and uh, and and he. <laughs> I hate him so much. I'm just going to mute his microphone the rest of the podcast. Ryan, I want to go back to something you said about gaining that experience. A lot of fans are still on the fence on Williams or Huntley, and there were people that after <laughs> all these turnovers, people are wanting Williams back in there. I'll throw it out to you guys. I'll, I'll give my opinion. I wouldn't have mind to see Williams maybe one or two series just to let Huntley kind of stand on the sideline, kind of see the game from that perspective. But I, I don't fault them for not making a change. Where are you guys on this issue? You know, I turned to one of you guys during the game and said something very similar that, I mean, Huntley was at a point where he wasn't moving the team, he was turning the ball over and like, it's not his day. Maybe see if there's a spark in Williams. And that's in the heat of the moment. That's kind of what we were just talking about with Twitter. People get kind of lose their mind in the heat of the game. L- looking back at that now, I think it's the right call to stick with Huntley. Win or lose, he's your guy. They made that decision in fall camp. He's their guy. And they're going to go with him and give him the experience. So he's so he's better for it next year. My take is I think we've we have seen some maturity out of Kyle Whittingham. Is you just have to look at our past to figure out that mistake. Look at how many times Wilson's a starter, Wilson gets pulled, Thompson comes in. All of a sudden Wilson's back in. I mean, yeah. There's so many there's so many seasons where we just fluctuate from quarterback to quarterback. Who knows if you're getting pulled? Who knows what? And I think that just breeds a lack of confidence in your quarterback. Whittingham says post-game, we're committed to Tyler Huntley. And we know with a young quarterback, you're going to go through some growing pains. So I think that that right there says, hey, fans... Stop waiting for Williams to get reps. It's not going to happen unless Tyler gets injured. And and I think that's the right move because, yes, you're going to go through these games where there's turnovers and mistakes. But the thing is, Tyler never – he was never out of that game mentally. He kept fighting. He got us back into the game. And Tyler was the one that was keeping that offense going. Yeah, and, and with seven turnovers – Granted, six going into the final Hail Mary. But with six of those turnovers, you still were one score away from tying up the number 19 team in the country with all of those turnovers. So, I mean, you just eliminate some of those, and it's a completely different game. I like the idea you got to stick with Huntley. He's your guy. Give him the confidence. And there is nothing that... Troy Williams has shown me this year. If I were a coach, there's nothing that he's shown me that would give me any confidence to put him in. To me, it's it's very black and white. 
Huntley's the better quarterback. Huntley's younger. He's more dynamic. He's a better leader. He's got more fight in him, and he's just more skilled. I mean, in that game, Troy, or I'm getting all these names mixed up now. Tyler Huntley was sacked seven times. He's elusive. He can he he's quicker. He's faster than Troy Williams. Can you imagine how many times Troy would have been sacked in that game? He got one snap and he almost got sacked on the Hail Mary. <laughs> it's true. It would not have it would not have gone well. I I don't think to see him in the game. Let's talk a little bit about what you just said. He the, he got sacked seven times. There's an issue, and it's the guys in front of him. Yeah, they're terrible. I think there's a reason for so many designed rollouts because they know they can't <laughs> protect him. Well, there's probably a lot of truth to that, and. Uh, you know, I, I I think there are times where Huntley is holding on to the ball probably too long, and, and you're going to get that with a young quarterback. Well, that's evident in all of the illegal man downfield calls we've gotten this <laughs> yeah, year. <laughs> RPOs, they're great when they work, but uh, they only work about 10% of the time. And uh, <laughs> and the number 65 gets called. And, and, when, and when we have a 30-yard gain, it gets brought back. But, no, I, I don't know what else to say. The O-line... We need some instant help recruiting wise. Next year we gotta get some instant impact guys. I think they need to get some big J C guys with some experience 'cause unless unless you hit unless you strike it big with a freshman who can start, but that's pretty but that, rare on that, the offensive line. Yeah, that's pretty rare. I mean, I don't care who you are, to to go get a true freshman and expect him to come in and get the job done. Now, I could understand that if you're trying to get maybe a, a little leaner, faster offensive line, um, which maybe I'm hearing maybe that's the trend with what uh, Troy, Troy Taylor wants out of his offense. I don't know. I don't even know if that's true or not, but um, there is something to be said that the guys that we have on the roster may not be the best fit for what we're trying to do. Because, again, this is a different offense than what these – I mean, these guys were recruited under – a-Rod, under Christensen, under Norm Chow, under Brian Johnson. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> it seemed like they were recruited by all those coaches. But, again, we're just fans. We're not fo- ex-football coaches. We don't have this wealth of knowledge that uh, maybe some of you have out there. But every week we have a new running scheme, whether it's the pistol, the read option, the uh, under center, flip it pass it back to the running back to hit the hole. We've tried so many different ways, and we've had success with Moss when it's a designed run, when he knows it's a run, when the offensive line knows it's a run, when Huntley knows that it's a run, that he's got to hand the ball off. These read options don't work Mm -mm. as, as as it's currently set up. And I don't know... Is is just not a good fit with Moss, is the O-line. They don't know which hole they should be blocking. But it's just, overall, it's just not working. And so I was really surprised when we had success against UCLA and we've had success against other teams with these designed runs, why all of a sudden, for this game, we came back to the read option. I think we've been asking that question all season long. I mean, I don't know that. We know that Troy Taylor favors the pass more than the run, but 
Which run does he favor, though? <laughs> I think he's up there in the box flipping a coin. Heads is pass, tails is run. But I bet he has a two-headed coin because it's mostly pass. <laughs> but, I, I, and again, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but when, I mean, he knows where his success has been in the running game. So it just it strikes me as odd that we just are trying to still f- put this square peg into a round hole and expecting it to all of a sudden fit. Obviously, we're, we've been talking about all the negatives with the offensive line. Well, I've been talking about the positives, but go oh, ahead, Ryan. That's why he hasn't talked in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much positive there, huh? I will give them credit where credit is due. I was very pleased with their efforts. I don't think there was one false start with all the jumping and dancing that Washington State did on the defensive line. Yeah, I mean that was that was the most the most choreographed movement on the <laughs> defensive line. They all, I mean, they were they'd go to the right, then they bounce back to the left, and all three of them were just like in yeah. rhythm. Yeah, was that like takes practice. Synchronized swimming. Yeah. Give those guys some nose plugs and <laughs> and a speedo. This was a good defense. So the struggles that we had, this was not a UCLA type defense we were going up against. They are very disciplined. They are very good. So the fact that we were able to, uh, you know, put uh, that much that much yardage up on the uh, up on the board, I think. It shows things are coming. They're coming slowly. Thanks for proving my point, Scott. After all that, (laughs) that's what he raps with? I started (laughs) off by saying there's positives. So on a lighter note, there was some news before kickoff. Uh, Chris Hill met with the media and announced uh, that they would finally expand the stadium, uh, tear down the south end zone, and rebuild it. No, don't do it. It's a classic. It's an heirloom at this point. It's well overdue. I'm excited about it. How much do you think it's worth on Antique Roadshow? (laughs) I'll show up with my jackhammer and sledgehammer to help take that thing down. I mean, those restrooms that are down there in the south end zone, like for the fans, got those circular sinks that you like step on the bar and the water starts coming out. I mean, they don't have troughs down there, do they? No. That's too bad. Those would be worth keeping. I put that in my bathroom. I mean, that's what built in the seventies. No, um, actually, there were, I believe, five oxen and <laughs> uh, and Brigham Young brought those across. Brought that across the plains. It was it was it was erected in Missouri. And uh, winter quarters area, it was a little struggle getting right, it through. You're right, those, it's from the 70s. From those small parts, some of those small <laughs> the canyons. The 1870s, apparently. <laughs> but uh, they, they were able to get it through. And so Crystal didn't it. give all the details. I guess they're still working on those, uh, being setting out surveys to really finalize those plans. But rumor uh, that that's going around online is it could be an increase of about 5,000 seats. And I think that's less than what everyone was kind of guessing or predicting yeah I, obviously they just want to get to that 50,000 mark um, I, I I was thinking we'd at least get to at least 55 but uh, I, I guess it, a lot of it's going to determine what they do suites wise 
And you've heard anything from obviously there will be suites to maybe two levels of suites on that uh, south side. What that does to seating or just limiting the amount of rows that they can put in there. And it's going to be interesting really to what they do because of that, because of the scoreboard, right? I mean, that thing's not moving. Oh, that was built where it is on purpose. So they're they're not going to move that. I'm not sure. Is that it, do we know that to be fact? Because that it can't be. I don't, I don't know if it can be raised higher or lower. But it, I mean, the footings that are are well, yeah, in but there, those aren't. They're not. I they, guess they there's could, nowhere else they can move that. They can't. They can't move that scoreboard uh, to the north end. I mean, zone. I no, guess no, no, they could just move it. Ideally, from the original plans, and these were plans years ago. Is the the south end zone? The back of it would almost come all the way out to the street. And I mean, you think they're gonna they're gonna need some space because you've got to wrap you've got to wrap both the east and west to connect. So you're gonna have to you're gonna eat some space doing that because you're gonna have one concourse that now goes 360 around the stadium. And if it's the plans that I think you're referring to, there were suites up there, and I think the plan was to move the scoreboard and the video wall to it the was. north end zone. And now you just be covering up the beautiful work that Sarge did on Twitter <laughs> to raise the painting that was uh, was put on the field house. But if you look at the at the, at the footings and those all the structure that's holding that up, there's no room in the north end zone. We'll just put it over the power lines on tracks. <laughs> <laughs> you can put it on the roof over there at the field house, and you can still see it. <laughs> no, I, I I think it'll probably. It'll it'll stay in in the south end zone. They're just gonna, um, I would think they're gonna have to move it back because you're gonna need that space. But it would be interesting. Though. The question is, you're now gonna have maybe more seats. Change some things around. You've got m- multiple corners. Do do they change where they put the visiting section? Does the must get moved? I think the must needs to get moved because that's prime revenue seating where they are right now so this is my thought i don't think it'll happen but i would love to see it happen the north end zone has kind of taken on a mind of its own it's 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 over the years it's just kind of developed a reputation it's loud it's and it's a it's a great part of the stadium very energetic fans you mirror that and put the muss on the south side and just fill up the south side with just the muss Put the visitor section on one of those corners, the seats that nobody else wants. And I think I think atmosphere-wise, that would do wonders for the stadium. I like it. Yeah, because both end zones would have... Would just be loud. Be a lot of Yelling noise. at each other. Yeah. And now you, you enclose that south end zone and you're not losing all the sound out through those corners. I, th- I think that would help drastically, but... I guess it, I'll guess it, it will be determined what is the more valuable seating, the south end zone seating, or is it going to be uh, maybe where the muss is currently? Because whatever is more valuable, the muss is not going to be getting any of it. I just hope they don't get rid of the bounce house. Oh, that is a great... <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> That's my favorite part. No, it, in the design... for a good chunk of the game last week. Is that where you were... <laughs> In the design, they've got to make it a, a cool. Here's the other and thing. I'm okay, let's talk about I, this. I'm referencing the blow up house that the team runs out on. Yes, we all know. We all okay. know what that thing is. 
you've got a chance to design this in a way that maybe creates a cool opportunity. Do you want the team coming out of the corner, leaving it kind of where they're at, or maybe more in the center, coming out by the goalposts? I mean, there's just a whole slew of opportunities at our disposal here. I think you leave the visiting section there, but their entrance onto the field's all the way in the north end zone. Just create a tunnel, <laughs> and they've got to walk the length of the stadium, come out. Got to make it as miserable as we can for those guys. All right, and before we get into the Washington game, uh, we are brought to you by our great sponsor at Double Tree Suites by Hilton in Salt Lake City downtown, 110 West, 600 South. Uh, give them a call, 801-359-7800. So before we go into Washington, I really wanted to bring this topic up. Uh, it was an article that came online today, and I had a really good discussion on Twitter with some Utah fans. Um, an article that was published by John Wilner uh, with the Mercury News, and he, he talks about the Pac-12 conference issues and really focusing on what's keeping them out of the Pac-12, or excuse me, out of the uh, college playoffs. And he talks about... And the national limelight. Yeah. Uh, eight games instead of nine, and really the Friday night games and the, and the late night games that is killing visibility and hurting teams on short weeks playing on those Friday nights. Well, these Friday nights, I understand the need to have them for TV purposes. To a point. But they should be Oregon State versus Cal. You know, or you know, or even when it's our turn to host one, Utah versus North Dakota State. That's yeah. when you have those. Not not you don't want I mean just last week you had Stanford Washington you know, a battle in the north, a lot on the line, and it's buried Friday night at eight thirty o'clock, eight thirty p.m. Oh, and he gives the he said that the other examples he had was uh, USC losing on a short week. They had to travel to Washington State. Uh, he talked about Washington State losing on a Friday night, uh, Washington losing <laughs> Arizona State, and then again losing to Stanford on a Friday. It's those short weeks that with the travel, I mean, teams really only have three days to prepare. You're not getting a good product on the field. You're, you're neutering your conference. You're not, yeah, you're not putting your conference step forward. And we kind of talked about this before we started recording. When Utah came into the Pac-12, Larry Scott could do no wrong with Utah fans, right? I mean, he saved us from the Mountain West. We got away from uh, Todd Christensen, whatever his name is, from the Mountain West. Christofferson. <laughs> what? <laughs> Samsonite. He sold everyone on this Pac-12 network, and don't get me wrong, it, the Pac-12 network is a good product. I love the drive. It's good content if you can get it. And I kind of think the honeymoon with, with Larry Scott is over. And maybe there needs to be new leadership. There needs to be some changes to showcase this conference. Well, it's, it's not just the television aspect. I mean, look at it. We sit here and complain about the Pac-12 officiating at least once a, once a episode. But every Pac-12 fan base complains about the Pac-12 officiating. They're, they're it, awful. It, but at this point, it's beyond the Pac-12 footprint. Nationally, it is talked about week after week. You've got guys on the East Coast, the media... 
they're chiming in and just saying, oh, here we go again with Pac-12 referees. And it's just they're not only are they not good, they're just not consistent. They're so out out there on on things that they're doing. Over on the TV, yeah, you, you don't have direct TV. You still can't get it on direct TV. You're having key matchup, matchups being pushed back or not even showing the first quarter of games because of truck rallies on Fox Sports 1. And you get pushed and, to the Fox Business Channel if you want to watch it. I mean, and that's, that's happened two weeks in a row now, right? Yes. Happened to us and then again and, with... And Stanford, Stanford. because of a, a rain delay on a, on Saturday, on two Saturdays ago, they get bumped for Penn State, Michigan State, mm-hmm. and they're playing... You got to turn to Fox Business Channel to find them. I mean, seriously, I just I just don't understand the direction that this conference is wanting to go. Uh, we're already getting our butt kicked in in these in these TV deals, and uh, and just the perception of the Pac-12. We're not consistently. In the playoff, we're not going to be in the playoff this year, most likely, unless something really crazy happens. So you're going to have two out of your last three years, there will be no Pac-12 team in the playoff. What does that do for your perception of your conference? And again, on these Friday games and whatnot, if you're neutering them and making it hard for your teams to stay in the spotlight and to to get the recognition they need on a national level, it just kills us. And until something changes, I don't, I don't think anything's going to change. I think the biggest, the biggest thing is these nine games. Mm-hmm. You have SEC teams this week playing Citadel and a bunch of gimmies. They can rest guys. They can get guys healthy. And they've got a guaranteed win on their schedule instead of Washington going up against a Utah. Well, it's funny because that's where everyone complains about that outside the SEC, right? That they play these, but they know what they're exactly. They play these fan base schools. I I would even say fan bases outside the SEC. Oh yeah, for sure. The SEC knows what they're doing, and other conferences are starting to take notice and starting to trend that way. I agree. I think we need to drop to eight conference games. Needs to go to eight. Because all and, you're doing is just beating each other up, and nobody's nobody's coming out on top. Well, and I think at the end of the day, you're ruining your product. You are, because it's one thing if every other com- major P5 conference was doing the exact same thing. Well, then you just you've just leveled your playing field. The problem is you're the only one. You're the only one in major college football that's playing nine conference games. But whatever happens, there, there's there's got to be some changes made. Just the perception of the Pac-12 is getting hammered right now. And yes, if you can have a next year a USC or a Washington or a Stanford run the table and make the national championship game or even win a national championship, that's drastically overnight going to change your perception. But there's got to be other steps and other things done to help change that perception um, across the board because they're struggling. It's getting to the point where running the table in a nine-conference league is, is going to be rare. I mean, it's going to happen once a decade. you got to be elite of elite and get some breaks along the way. There's too many. I mean, you look at it. We get We get smacked around by ASU. 
Then the next, you know, and then all of a sudden we just go trounce UCLA. UCLA goes and trounces ASU last week. It doesn't make any sense. It's and it's like that every week in the Pac-12. You're looking at like, oh, who, who, what just happened? Who, who are these guys? They're great one week, they're off the next, and anybody can be anybody any given every any given week. And yeah, it makes it so much more difficult to run the table or to maybe finish a season with only one loss to get that national recognition and make sure you are one of the four teams in that playoff. And I don't have a problem with the league that anyone can beat anyone. I want parity in the league. Okay. No, well, of and I know you that's do. what you yeah. say, but I, I want parity in the league. But at the same point, you got to protect your conference. You do. Mm-hmm. Having a team have three days to prepare to travel on a Friday night game. That's going to be shown after truck racing. That's not protecting your conference. But they're running into the same problem with the NFL right now. Look how many players have gone down because of Thursday night games. They don't have the time to recover. Their bodies are just too worn out, and they've got to go back out and perform. And some of these guys, high-caliber guys, are going down season-ending injuries. I'm sorry, but Friday nights should be reserved for like the, the BYUs of the world. And I'm not, I'm not taking a shot, but they're not a big time draw, right? Well, that's how Boise kind of got their bread and yeah. butter, right? Mountain, Boise played Thursday, Friday West. games. Exactly that. That should be their night. And okay, and if you're gonna, if you're gonna have some Friday night games, okay, that's fine. Just don't make them the marquee games. So, a great article by John Wilner. Um, you can check that out uh, online at MercuryNews.com. All right, so Utah's traveling to Seattle to take on the Washington Huskies. Washington's coming off a loss to Stanford, 30-22. to They're ranked 16th in the AP, 15th in the coaches. I really think this team starts with Jake Browning. He's a good quarterback. He's very efficient. But I think if Utah really wants a shot in this game, they're going to have to put pressure on him, make Browning uncomfortable, make him run for his life. We're talking about the Utah defense, right? <laughs> yes, right. And the, the Utah defense is going to have to put some pressure uh, on Jake Browning, make him beat you with his legs. It's going to have to come from creative blitzing then because it's, it's been a problem all year. The defensive line cannot create the necessary pressure to hurry up the quarterbacks by themselves. I mean, it's it's going to take a, a a monumental effort um, traveling up to Washington right now. I mean, they're averaging thirty six points a game, um, second in the conference, and they're only giving up thirteen. Exactly, and 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 they're tough. They're tough to beat a, up in Seattle, and uh, not to mention they just experienced a very disappointing loss mm-hmm. that just sealed their fate as far as the playoff goes. So I don't think they're going to be the most uh, pleased football team um, coming in Saturday. So they're going to be ready to play. They need to win, in their minds, more than we do. So, I mean, it's it's going to, it's going to take a great effort from this defense to be able to stop them. Um, you know, I was listening, or I saw on Twitter today, a comment made uh, by Peterson said that uh, the Utah game last year, was um, the toughest game they played outside of Alabama. 
I saw that coming too, and that's and that's a, I mean that's a big that's compliment, a great compliment from uh, from from Peterson in regards to this team. The question is that was last year's team. The effort that we saw on Saturday defensively was was Utah football. Mm-hmm. That is what we've come to expect week in and week out. We haven't seen that every week this season. So again, going back, we talk about consistency on the offensive side. This is where you have to have it on the defensive side. We've got to show up. Defensive line's got to continue to do their job and uh, and stop the run. First and foremost, Whittingham, that's the game plan, week in and week out. Stop the run. And then put the hand, put the put it in the hands of our secondary, which has been performing extremely well to this point. Offensively, we're going to need to run the ball. Oh wait, we are going to need to run the ball because, but we have to work the time of possession in our favor. Well, this is where it becomes difficult. Washington's number one in the in the conference right now, giving up 101 yards a game. Well, they're one of the best t- defenses in the country. They are. And uh, I mean, we thought we thought it was tough to run against Washington State. Well, guess what? Washington's even better against the run. So our O line and Huntley and Moss have got to, they've got to figure out some things to at least at least keep Washington honest and be able to run the ball, turn up some clock, um, and then allow. Obviously, I think you're still going to see very heavy heavy load on Huntley throwing the ball. But you've still got to be able to run the ball a little bit and, and that's gonna be difficult. But their number Washington's number one in rush defense and passing defense in the conference. So that's there's there's that going for there's really not a gimme either way. So you you've gotta see I mean we've gotta it's gotta be a great effort offensively. We're gonna have to <laughs> we're gonna have to play out of our minds, I think, to uh to get a W up there. But with that being said, this Washington team is not as good as they were last year. They've, no. they've had several games where they have not looked good at all. ASU held them to seven points, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had some games where they've really struggled. So is it winnable? Yes. But it's going to be a tough task to go up there. And if you can't get the job done, then you're staring a Colorado game in the face just to get bowl eligible. Not to mention Colorado has a bye this week. They're already prepping for us, and they need a win to go bowling. So there's a lot on the line, and I don't have a whole lot of confidence in Utah going up against Colorado with anything on the line. In regards to this weekend's game, though, you can't if, – if you have any chance to come away with a win, you can't come out and perform in the first quarter like you have the last two games. You've got to essentially put four quarters of good football together. Practically, are they capable of it? Practically turnover free. I mean, we found that they can turn the ball over and still stay in the game, but not to the extent of six or seven. Well, if you're turning the ball over, you then have to force Washington to turn the ball over Mm -hmm. to somewhat offset it. All right, and before we give our score of the game and the Pac-12 games we're going to be picking this week. Uh, that's brought to you by Farmers Insurance for protecting your home, vehicle, and family. Look to Farmers Insurance. Call Scott Omer at 801-307-4046. All right, so Utah is traveling up to Seattle. Vegas right now has it as a 17-point game for Washington. Yikes. 
I wasn't expecting it to be that high. This week, Ryan, you're going first. What's Perfect. your score? I don't know. This might be the the week that I go against you, Tom. This first one this year. I think it'll be closer than 17 points, but I think Washington gets some 42 to 34. Wow. Points points galore. Oh, boy. Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to go Washington as well. But I think you're going to see a 31-27 score. Not so fast, my friends. <laughs> so as I said... Lee Corso's <laughs> here, too. So as I said, they got to pressure Browning. They got to make him uncomfortable in the pocket, make him run. If they could limit the big plays that Washington lives off of, Utah has a chance. They're not going to be able to, though. Okay, I think Washington wins 30-20. to What was the not-so-fast for, then? Just to mess with you. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you held your fake pencil, too, when you did it. (laughs) Not so fast, my friends. All right, so I think that's the first time this season we've all have Utah losing the game. Hopefully, the Utes prove us wrong. Uh, the first game we're picking for our Pac-12 games is Arizona is traveling to Eugene to face the Oregon Ducks. All right, Ryan, uh, who do you have in this game? I'm going to go with the Wildcats. Uh, with Khalil Tate, they're, they're way better than Oregon. So I, I don't know if Oregon's uh, starting quarterback is going to be back yet or not, but even if he does, it'll be the first game in a good number of weeks, so... The way Arizona's playing, unfortunately, I'd gonna have to go with them, and uh, I think that I think they win that. Yeah, I gotta agree. Arizona is gonna go up and get away with that victory. Uh, big fan of Cleo Tate. The kid is, is phenomenal, and Oregon's not gonna be able to stop him. And the next game is Cal's traveling to the farm to play Stanford. Uh, Stanford's a sixteen-point favorite right now. Ryan, where are you going with this one? We have the same Stanford team that showed up against Washington shows up. Stanford's going to win it. Go with Stanford. Scott? Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know how you go elsewhere on this one. Cal started off playing pretty well, but I think they're realizing that they're Cal. And uh, uh, Stanford, man, Stanford's playing really well right now, so I think I think they win easy. Stanford's an interesting team. They're they're up and down all year. They're seven and three on the year. They're, I mean, they're a very good team, but sometimes in those games they don't look as dominant as other games that they're in. Cal's fighting for a bowl game at five and five, but I just don't see him pulling it out. So I got to go with the trees. And the last game we have is the rivalry game down in Southern California. UCLA Bruins at five and five are going against USC. USC's a 16-point favorite in this game. Ryan, Bruins or Trojans? It pains me, but I'm going to go with the Trojans. They're obviously the better team. Scott? I'd love to see UCLA pull one out for Jim Mora and uh, see the finger healed of uh, Josh Rosen. But uh, I think USC, UC, USC wins it. I'm going with the Dirty Dirty Trojans. Yeah, I got to follow you guys on that one. I think the Trojans 
uh, handle the Bruins pretty easily this week. So that will do it for us. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. Drum, the letter N, Feather. And Scott? Uh, man underscore forever. And you can follow me and this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast at our home at utahmanpodcast.com. And you can always find us on your favorite podcatcher on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And we always appreciate feedback on there. And go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be till I die. Kayai. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. I like to see Hercules Mata'afa in a Speedo. <laughs> that dude. I mean, He's let's, everywhere. Let's give that guy a shout out. He single-handedly destroyed any type of running game, and uh, he was disruptive. I think the Musk could use a little shrinking. They need to jump in some cold water, and we need some shrinkage. <laughs> Where in the world were they on Saturday night? Well, the problem, the problem with the Musk is... You basically have two people per seat. The year was 1974. (laughs) Keep going. It was a cold, blustery day right around Thanksgiving time because it was the rivalry game. Oh, there's a fumble. Oh, sorry. I thought I was being the play. I thought I was being the the color guy there for a minute and and interrupting you. I'm not amused right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was being Frank Dolce and just talking when I'm not supposed to. It was the third quarter. It was 20. Oh, that was such a good tackle. <laughs> Cameron's getting sick of us. Cam- Cameron's just like the... I'm laughing over here. He's just like the dad, you know, just like... Oh, Who are these people? <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm so disappointed in them. <laughs> With a belt high dribble. The old cowhide globe hit home. What were we talking about before all this? <laughs>